Good evening, everyone. I'm so glad you again chose to set time out of your day to come here to worship our Creator and King. There's a song that this lesson is based off of. It's not in our books, uh, and it's a really nice song. It has a really good message, and I would like to read you the lyrics of this song, if you don't mind, just so we can get on the same page uh, for the rest of the lesson. So I'm going to try and set up the scene a little bit. Uh, in the music video, this guy, he's in an airport, okay? He's on a plane, and he's, you know, if you've been to an airport, you know the whole atmosphere. But I'm just going to start reading. Uh, it says, Look down from a broken sky, traced out by the city lights, my world from a mile high. Best seat in the house tonight, touch down on the cold black top, Hold on for the sudden stop. Breathe in the familiar shock of confusion and chaos. All those people going somewhere. Why have I never cared? Verse 2, he's walking around the airport and he sees all these people around him. It says, step out on the busy street. See a girl and our eyes meet. Does her best to smile at me to hide what's underneath. There's a man just to her right, black suit and a bright red tie, too ashamed to tell his wife he's out of work, he's buying time. All those people going somewhere, why have I never cared? Then there's a bridge to the song. It says, I've been there a million times, a couple million lives just moving past me by. I never thought that I was wrong, but I want a second glance, so give me a second chance to see the way you've seen the people all along. And the chorus says, Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. This song is written by Brandon Heath, and it's called give me your eyes and I based my lesson off it I didn't want to do any copyright so I just put give me your dot 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 because we'll be talking about a couple things specifically in the course it says there's four requests that are made the first request is give me your eyes give me your love is the second request the third request is give me your arms and the fourth request is give me your heart and I believe there is a lesson to be learned here, because we are all called to be like Jesus, who is like God, so we should long to have his qualities. If you want to turn over to Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 11. This is the, the parable of the prodigal son, and we all know this, this, this story, but I'm going to reread the whole thing. It's a little bit of a long thing, but it's, it's worth the read. For the point. So, Luke chapter 15, starting verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, 
who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And, when, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in, in the field, and he, as he came and drew to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive, he was lost, and is found. I feel that when we read this story, we tend to put ourselves in the shoes of the prodigal son, which is a perfectly fine way to read this story. But today, I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of the father. Remember the four things in the chorus of that song that were requested to be more like God, which were his eyes, his love, his arms, and his heart. Look again in verse 20 of Luke 15. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran and embraced him, and kissed him. All in there we have his eyes, the father saw him, love and felt compassion, arms embraced him, and heart kissed him. If God has these qualities, so should we. So I would like to look at these qualities of God uh, more deeply so we can better apply them to our own lives. So the first thing, and I'm just going to follow the order of eyes, love, arms, and heart. The first thing is eyes. What does God see? This goes beyond physical sight, uh, more of seeing who you are. Let's turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. I would like to look at verses 6 and 7. 1 Samuel 16 verses 6 and 7. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. This is obviously the story of David being chosen to be the next king 
of Israel. Uh, and David was chosen, as we'll talk about in a few minutes, because of his heart. He was a man after God's own heart. But God sees us for who we really are. We may put on a good show for our fellow humans, you know, put on a happy face and, you know, smile and all that kind of stuff when really we're hurting inside. But God knows the truth. We need to, we need to look at people and see them for who they really are and who they will be. Every person you come into contact with is a soul that is just as precious as your own. God also sees your intentions. Let's turn back to Luke. Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. I'm going to start in verse 1. Luke 21 verse 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Jesus is sitting here in the temple, watching all these people put their, their, all their wealth that they had. Well, not all their wealth, but you know, a good majority of their wealth in these offering boxes. And then he watches this poor widow come up and put in two small coins. And he was more impressed by two small coins over anything one of those rich people had to offer because she gave more than any other. Jesus saw the true effort that the widow was giving. He didn't care about the amount of money. He saw that she was truly giving all she had to God. So we should also see others, not what they don't do, but what they are doing. Give me your eyes so I can see everything I keep missing. We need to see people as God sees people. The next thing that's requested in this song is love. And I have to ask this question, how does God love? Uh, I mean, seriously, how does God love? I know He's God, but I sometimes cannot understand the amount of love and compassion he has for some of the people in this world. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Let's look at verses 6 through 8. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person... Though perhaps for a good person would one even dare to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We know that Jesus died for all mankind to give all of us eternal life. Keep in mind the idea of the sanctuary we talked about earlier today. All the love and effort he put into building that sanctuary for us. We should know what love is by now, but just in case you don't know what love is, according to Merriam-Webster, love is a strong affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties. That's our modern world day's view of love. 
But I want to say love is much more. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's a long chapter, right? Just 13 verses. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Love is much more than just, oh, I know you, so I love you, as the world likes to say. This type of love is the love that God shows us perfectly. It is also the same love we are to reciprocate to others. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 19. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because He first loved us. This type of love we're supposed to show to others because it was first shown to us, but the end that we are to show it to is to death. Turn over to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for us. We should be willing to lay down our life for others because we love them. Love is the single greatest force besides God. I mean, it's the driving force of God sending his son here to this earth to give us eternal life. It was at the beginning of time and it will never end. Give me your love for humanity. The next thing that is mentioned in this song is arms. Give me your arms. And I like to ask the question when we think of God and his arms, they're always described as outstretched. There's nowhere that God cannot reach. And I would like to look for a second. You look up here on the PowerPoint and you see arms of wrath. And you're like, whoa, what kind of arms are we supposed to have? What, uh, 
But I, there, there's a lesson here I want to show you. God's arm is described in multiple ways, always outstretched, always reaching out, whether it's in wrath or in love. And I would like to look and see what it's like when his arm is outstretched in wrath. Turn over to Psalm chapter 89. Psalm 89. Look at verse 10. Psalm chapter 89, verse 10. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. We can see that God here is destroying Rahab. Now, I'm not talking about the harlot that's went in the time of Joshua. Uh, this Rahab, if you're going to do some deep diving into the mythology of the time, it's a name for a mythical sea monster. Uh, and sea monsters are always symbols of chaos and evil. We can see God here in this verse is destroying evil and chaos with the might of his arm. We can also look in Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30 and look in verse 30. It says, The Lord will cause his majestic voice to be heard and the descending blow of his arm to be seen in furious anger and a flame of devouring fire with a cloudburst and storm and hailstones. We can see God's arm is extremely powerful. I mean, if it can destroy evil and chaos in just one blow, that's, that's extremely powerful. How much more powerful is it when his arms are outstretched in love? Turn over a few chapters to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59 and verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. God's, well, God's arm is always reaching out. He is always there to help you in your time of need. This powerful arm that can destroy evil and chaos in one blow is right there to help you. Like you would help a, a child learning to walk for the first time, right there, ready to help. Also, turn over to Psalm 89. Psalm 89, verse 21 says, actually I'm starting verse 20, it kind of starts the whole thought. I have found David my servant, with my Holy One I have anointed him, so that my hand will be established with him, my arm shall also strengthen him. I know this is speaking about David, and God strengthening David his servant, but aren't we also God's servants in a way? Will he not strengthen us when we need it? He will strengthen us so we can be better equipped for the next battle, the next test that comes our way. We need the arms of God to reach the broken. This powerful arm, if, we, if we're going to try and jump into the flames of evil to save someone, and we don't have these powerful arms that protect us, how are we not going to get burned? Turn over to Jude chapter 1. Jude chapter 1. Look at verse 22. 
Well, there's only one chapter in Jude. So, <laughs> uh, Jude, starting in verse 22. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. In order to pull others from the fire out of evil and out of chaos, we need the arm that can destroy evil and chaos. The arms of God protect and help others whenever they look to Him. So we should also protect and help anyone who is looking for it. But we cannot do that without God's heart. When we think of God's heart, we tend to think of love. And yes, they are very similar, but they can be two separate things. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, we can see that King Saul had disobeyed God. If you want to turn back over to 1 Samuel, we were here just a few minutes ago. 1 Samuel chapter 13, I'm going to start in verse 12. We're going to see how Saul disobeyed the Lord. 1 Samuel 13, starting verse 12. I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and, burnt the, and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For then the Lord would establish your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. God searches out those after his own heart. Not necessarily love, because we've already talked about love, but those who want to do good. We know that God chooses David. Turn over a few chapters to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 5. We're going to read this again. 1 Samuel 16, starting in verse 5. This is Samuel speaking. He said, I, And he said, Peaceably, I have come to, to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse called Shema, made Shema pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for I will not sit down till he comes here. And when he sent and brought him in, now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord brushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. God chose David because he was a man after his own heart. And there are many reasons why God chose David, and I want to look at a few of those. Why God chose David. These are all going to be in the book of Psalms. We're going to start in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, 
verse 97. Psalm 119, verse 97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. David loved God's word. He meditated on it day and night. And he didn't just stop there. Look back a few verses to Psalm 119, verse 11. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He loved God's word, but he also kept it in his heart. I mean, you could say he memorized it. He had it written on his heart. We can also see that David would confess his sins when he knew he did wrong. Turn over to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51. Look at verse 3. Psalm 51, starting verse 3. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. David would confess his sins when he knew he did wrong. This this psalm he wrote after he had... uh, murdered Bathsheba's husband and took Bathsheba for his own. He knew what he did was wrong, and here he is confessing his sin. We can also see that David hated every false way. Back to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 104. Psalm 119, verse 104. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Jump down to verse 128. Therefore I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. All of these qualities led David to be extremely blessed by God. We can see in Psalm chapter 89. Psalm 89 Look at verse 3 and 4. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever. I will build your throne for all generations. Selah. We can see the fulfillment of this in Acts chapter 13. If you'd like to turn over there. Acts chapter 13. Look at verse 21. Acts 13 starting in verse 21. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. The heart of God is perfect. And there are many verses that say the heart of man is imperfect. But we still have to learn to have the heart of God for the people of this world. Our goal is to be like Jesus in every way we can in our everyday lives. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at verse 1. Here Paul writes, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We also have a similar verse in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verses 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. 
Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus is our perfect example. He showed us how to use our eyes, our love, our arms, and our heart to bring others closer to him. We are to be beacons of light and hope to this world. And we are to lead others to Jesus in whatever way we can. If you're really good at one of these qualities, you better use it. If you're really good at loving, go love people. Show them love. If if you're kind of stubborn and you can reach your hands into the flame, reach your hands into the flame and yank people out. Use these gifts. Romans chapter 12 Verses 4 through 9 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we through many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. We are the body of Christ, and we are blessed to help others become a part of the body as well. Remember, as I said earlier today, we all take care of our section of fence. When somebody comes in, it's your job to yell over to that young fawn, hey, come here real quick before that hunter gets you. But how can you do so if you're not a part of the body yourself? In a second, we're going to sing a song, I Am Resolved. I'm resolved no longer to linger charmed by the world's delight. That's a proclamation that you're making, that you are ready to change. You're ready to commit your life to Christ. You're ready to die in the watery grave of baptism and be raised to walk a new life. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. And it's the greatest one. It comes with all kinds of benefits. If you would like to commit your life to Christ, right now is the best time as we stand and as we sing.